0: I'd like you to travel with me in your imaginations for a moment to Rome in the year 248 A.D. It was a year that was marked by a host of celebrations. The occasion was the 1,000th anniversary of the founding of the city, or in the Latin language, ab urbe condita. And some scholars even today of the ancient world will refer to the year 753 B.C., as the year one, AUC, ab urbe condita, as a way of dating events in the Roman Empire. One difficulty that was faced uh, by the planners of these celebrations, there was a certain dark cloud that, that hung over it that they were trying to avoid acknowledging, and that is that the legends surrounding the city's founding were not always edifying. For example, right at the beginning, there were the twin brothers Romulus and Remus, They couldn't decide together where to found the city, where to put it. And they're arguing about whether uh, they should put it on the Palatine Hill, which is where Romulus wanted it to go, or on the Aventine Hill, which is where Remus wanted it to go. And uh, in the midst of this dispute, Remus jumped over the wall that Romulus was building to mock him. And so Romulus killed him. And that's the founding of Rome. So the official propaganda in this year, 248, tried to downplay this, and we even get some people talking about Remus actually lived and this, this, and that. But it's a tall task to undo many centuries of legend. And not only that, I think ancient persons knew very well that there are a lot of stories about the foundation of cities based on a fratricide. For example, the very first city mentioned in the Holy Bible, in the book of Genesis, was founded by Cain who slew his brother Abel. There's a vague understanding that a city, it's a kind of a dangerous place. Uh, You have all kinds of people living together, and that it's when you live together in close proximity, you can ask the brothers about this. You don't always get along, right? So it's helpful to have an enemy outside that you can kill and keep at bay and make everybody feel good about at least not being that person, right? So Remus did the trick at the beginning. The problem is with this approach to unity is that you need new victims from time to time, and so as Rome grew, her enemies multiplied. And at the time, we're concerned at the moment, you know, 248 A.D., who were the enemies? Well, the Christians, for one. They were among the the lucky ones who could be trotted out whenever there was need to uh, reignite civic fervor. And actually, the second half of the third century uh, were two of the most important persecutions of Christians under the emperors Decius and Diocletian. So with this background, we can get a sense of how the ground really moved underneath the seven hills of Rome, when a few years after Diocletian stepped down as emperor, Emperor Constantine became a Christian catechumen, and he ended the persecutions. By the way, this also ended the celebration of the anniversary of the founding of Rome by Romulus— Um, And by the 5th century, if we go forward a little longer, a new story about the foundation of Rome was being circulated. And one of the most distinguished persons who was giving out this new story was a Christian poet by the name of Prudentius. It was well known at that time that both St. Peter and Paul lived in Rome and died there, St. Peter, as a non-Roman, was crucified. That was the uh, public execution of those who were enemies of the state, who were not citizens. And he was buried outside the city near the Vatican Hill. St. Paul was actually a Roman citizen, and so uh, he was proud of it, and he escaped the indignity of public execution and was beheaded outside the city where not many people could witness it. And his basilica... Uh, over his burial place is today appropriately called St. Paul Outside the Walls. But to return to Prudentius, who's four centuries after Peter and Paul and thinking about them, and Prudentius was a Roman citizen, part of the elite class, in fact, and he wrote many histories of Rome in addition to Christian poetry, he started to make a series of connections between these twins, Romulus and Remus, and Peter and Paul. And there's a mysterious reference in the book of Revelation to uh, two men prophesying in Rome. This is in the 11th chapter, giving witness to Christ. And the city is given the allegorical name of Sodom and Egypt, but we know that the author of Revelation is talking about Rome. And these two witnesses are then put to death. And then they are raised from the dead and they ascend to heaven. This all happens in that 11th chapter. Probably The author, many people think it was St. John who wrote Revelation, was thinking about Peter and Paul, that he knew them, that he knew about the persecutions going on at the time. Certainly Prudentius thinks that's who he's talking about. And he sees them as founding the new city of Rome, the city which had, against all probabilities, become Christian by this time. I find it interesting, when we look, you you hear these... uh, two witnesses being put to death, rising from the dead and ascending to heaven, you think right away of Jesus, right? It's very interesting how Peter and Paul both follow and imitate Jesus in their lives and in their deaths. So they're both, all three of them are put to death by Rome, by the greatest colossus of earthly power known at the time. And then, as so often happens in the church's history, Uh, it's those who are put to death by worldly power that end up founding the heavenly city. So Jesus died outside the walls of Jerusalem to found the new Jerusalem, the heavenly one. Peter and Paul were buried outside of the city of Rome and founded a new kind of Rome, a heavenly one, the church, as it were, the church militant. In this case, the brothers were not in competition. They weren't fratricidal. They didn't argue about which hill to build the city on. Now this isn't to say that Peter and Paul agreed on everything, and I actually find it important to note that their unity, their love for one another, was not founded on a personal affinity. They were very, very different men in temperament, education, class, and a host of other ways. What united them was a deep and abiding love for Jesus Christ, who loved them both and forgave them both, and prophesied of each man how much he would have to suffer to be his disciple. So we think of the beautiful scenes of Peter jumping out of the boat to run after Christ to walk on the water with him. Or Jesus asking Peter, "Do you love me?" And when he receives Peter's affirmation, "Yes, Lord, you know I love you," he says, "Follow me." And in this following it's going to take you, Peter, where you do not wish to go, which is to a death that will glorify God. We can say the same thing about St. Paul. If you open the Bible to Paul's letters and just randomly put your finger down on any passage, just start reading. He's going to mention Jesus Christ within a couple of lines. Paul literally couldn't stop speaking about Jesus Christ, about his love for him, for his Savior. And like Peter, Paul had denied Christ, he had persecuted the church. And like Peter, he knew the great mercy of God upon sinners and upon the weak and the wayward. This is why these men could be entrusted with the keys. They they could be entrusted to forgive with the power of Christ other sins, because they knew what that meant. And after Paul had encountered Christ, he was instructed to go into Damascus to the house of a Christian named Ananias, and Ananias wasn't very excited about this, because uh, last he heard, Paul was killing the Christians. But the Lord spoke to Ananias, and he says something very interesting. First of all, Paul's no longer a threat, but he's going to show Paul how much he must suffer for the name of Christ. So again, we see this, this interesting parallel between these twins of Peter and Paul. Their love for Christ, their willingness to suffer in the city of Rome for him. So these two were reconciled to God and to each other by Jesus Christ. And they offer us today a new way to live together not based in just personal preference or affinity, I just happen to like you, or I I need to find a way to like, you need to find a way to like me, let me put it that way. I'm not likable all the time, as all of us have our difficulties. Nor, though, are we reconciled based on a common enemy that we point to and say, if we could just get rid of that guy, then we can live together. No. What is common with all of us together today is one faith. The faith in Jesus Christ who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.